Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Iconoclast, the game, is loaded with interesting, sometimes very difficult puzzles, and I've had a blast figuring out how to open gates, break evil machines, and get to new platforms. What I haven't had a blast with is the bad guys in Iconoclast. At one point in the game, the guards are telling each other jokes and laughing loudly. The problem here is that these jokes center around women they capture, or upset, and often with some line about how they'd really like to do some sexual act with them. They get a kick out of these, they really do, except for when one of the guards attempts to make a joke about a boy with the finest sculpted abs he's ever seen. The guards don't laugh then, they don't make any noise at all. I know this is an attempt to make you fucking hate these guys, and it works. But it feels like it's doing just a bit more than it needs to, to in order to get the sentiment across. These dudes are already after you, they're already the enemy. I haven't seen any lengthy dialogue exchange between them besides this. It felt like shit to read, and not in the way I think Iconoclast was trying to get across. That, and those, in fact, those are the words of our fantastic social editor, Danica Harrod, as she was writing about Iconoclast and enemies who are over the top in a bad way. They're over the top in a way that maybe doesn't quite make sense uh, to the fiction of the game. And that's going to be our topic today for Waypoint Radio, episode 131. I, of course, am Danielle Riendo, and today I am joined by Patrick Klepek. Hello. And Rob Zachney. Hey, everybody. And we're talking about those those issues with villains that are over the top, but actually in a way that totally sucks, or is just absolutely kind of undermining the the evil or the bad guy or the kind of the way they're supposed to make sense in the game. Well, I thought, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like, I think... One aspect of this, because because the, the immediate response is like, well, duh, they're supposed to be the villains, right? These, right. it's not like this stuff isn't isn't in the game as an endorsement. It's meant to illustrate like why these people are so bad. But the problem with that is, there's a fine line between like characterizing someone as uh, villainous and disgusting in, in various ways. And then using like prejudices, uh, you know, abuses as a way to sort of like spice up yeah. your villain. Like it's 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 sort of like what's the, what's the nastiest shit I can put in here, and that'll be how I how I season your antagonists uh, in this game. <laughs> like huge huge offenders in this were um, like if you look at eighties and nineties action movies, oh, yeah. uh, like. The sheer number of times in which the threat or implication of sexual violence comes just out of left fucking field uh, as a way to like further raise the stakes, like a lethal weapon, right? Oh, when yeah. Murtaugh's daughter gets kidnapped. We've already seen so much that indicates that the bad guys in lethal weapon are like bad fucking dudes. Uh, <laughs> we don't really need more along those lines. But then out of nowhere, there's this entire like 
oh no, like daddy's little girl is now in, you know in imminent risk of being sexually assaulted by this like creepy villain uh, guard. Right. And it turned like that actually makes it less about like characterizing the villain and more about exploiting something else in order to just sort of punch up uh, the villainousness of the character, if that makes sense. And it really kind of ruins the the stew in a lot of ways, right? If you want to keep going with that spicing up or punching up kind of metaphor, it turns it into something potentially more uncomfortable than it needs to be, or even just cartoonish in a way. There are times it can be so over the top that you don't even believe this villain anymore. Now you're sort of laughing at the piece instead of being afraid of, you know, sort of what you're supposed to be afraid of in terms of the fiction. And that really just sucks. It goes the wrong way, I think. I I think there's a a balance to all of these things. And when you just throw something in there, especially sexual assault, because that's its own kind of can of worms there. It's its own thing. It's really, really difficult sometimes for survivors to just, you know, oh, I'm watching a movie about a bad guy with a gun. Oh, and now this is what this is. And it becomes something entirely different and entirely other. It also furthers that narrative, right, of, well, only obviously bad people commit sexual assault or are guilty of any sort of sexual violence, right? Like, good guys don't do this. Right. Uh, But obviously, like, this creepy drug dealer in the bad suit with an Uzi, uh, of course, (laughs) that guy's a fucking rapist. Right. Uh, Like, that's kind of, like, again, that's kind of, like, the subtextual message of a lot of this is, like, well, you know, how can you recognize someone who is likely to be bigoted in this way or violent or abusive in this way? Uh, Well, chances are it's because they're cartoonishly evil. Uh, and if you're not cartoonishly <laughs> yeah. evil, you're probably all good. You'll be fine. Yeah, of course, of course. Which is such a huge problem. And it's a huge problem in a lot of, of games that use this to even even less subtle degree than 80s action movies, which is saying something, uh, I think. Immediately. Well, a lot of games still have to catch up to 80s action yeah, movies. Right? <laughs> There's one way in which they're, uh, they're still kind of uh, hanging behind. Uh, the character I thought of immediately when I started thinking of this as a topic is Tobias Bruckner, the racist, basically wearing a pseudo-Confederate outfit bad guy from Turok Evolution. I think he showed up in some later Turok games as well as like a half-cyborg, um, who is just... I mean, basically, the, I, I think he's in the running for the most ridiculous video game character of all time. Like, Refresh and I mean me that. on this guy. I all was right. never a Turok kid. Tobias Bruckner uh, was a dinosaur riding racist uh, in, in the Turok <laughs> in the Turok franchise. <laughs> Fucking video games. Yeah, sure. They sure are. In the Turok video games, uh, they're, they're one of relatively few game franchises that had uh, sort of like a native person as a protagonist. Uh, Turok was Pray. the dinosaur hunter. Yeah. Prey? Prey also. I agree. The original Prey, Prey from 2006, also definitely did. We never got um, the original Prey. That game was canceled by Three uh, Realms. Don't talk about wait, the original really? Prey. Yeah, like Prey, yeah, no, no, Prey no, was originally original built Prey. on, uh, yeah. what was it called? Portal technology was like the underlying... Uh, yeah, but no, it didn't it really, like, yes, but they were the, the people who innovated that. Like, I remember reading the feature uh, in CGW oh, yeah. uh, about, like, you'll be able to look through a door... But it'll show something completely elsewhere in the world oh. other than the room you're in. And it was, like, mind-blowing. Uh, and the other thing was, like, each monster hunt was going to be, like, a big fucking deal, right? Uh, so, yeah, that whole game, 
uh, evaporated. But uh, back to Tura. Yeah, sorry. Uh, which had a oh no, name it's good. It's like it's it's kind of relevant because in pre- in uh, sorry in Turok, like especially as the sort of as the games went on, there were several Turok sequels. I don't know if if you were hip to the Turok sequels. Uh, <laughs> uh, there were there were sort of like tribes of native people in those games, and I. I, I I don't know how well they were really portrayed. It, it probably was in some sort of stereotypical stuff was being traded in for sure. But Tobias's entire thing was that he basically hunted down the native people. And this is in some weird alt, like, future, you know, on other planets with aliens and alien technology and all sorts of other stuff. But this, this guy... This can't be till the... Because I only played the first two games. I played the N64 yeah. ones, Turok, uh, and then Turok uh, Two Seeds of Evil. This must be... Because they made this them for the like PS2 GameCube? and Xbox, but I yeah okay yeah, yeah. I was I was I, like most people I think I was off the Turok train uh, <laughs> during Turok <laughs> Two, Seeds of Evil. I mean I think yeah that's... is this the game where they were paying people to name their kid Turok? Are we at that stage? I think we the, are. Uh... This is like 2002 ish. Yeah. yeah, this is back I when uh, Acclaim was also making was it uh, not Shadow Run Shadow Man? What, do you remember Shadow when, Man was it yep. Shadow Man? They made two of those. Yeah, there were a couple of Shadow Mans. Uh, there was this was around the like BMX triple X era of Acclaim. Oh, yeah, yeah, remember yeah, yeah. remember that uh, beautiful game where you had to like, God, was it a code or if you hundred percent of the game or something you saw like actual digital boobies and that was like a whole thing. Yeah, this was Acclaim's real time in the in the sun here. This was a this is a real time. Their beautiful for them. swan song. Yeah, seriously. Uh, but here, I'll I'll even uh, I know I know this is bad for radio, but I'll just put this in in chat here uh, just so you can see what Tobias Bruckner looks like. Uh, this man is in basically Confederate uniform uh, with long blonde uh, hair and mutton chop. I think those are mutton chops. Actually, I think that are we sure he's Confederate? Uh, he's not Confederate. That uh, uniform looks pretty blue. He's not like Confederate because this is in an alien planet, but it's like. Well, the pants look pretty gray. I don't know. He has, a, like, an accent. He has a southern accent, and he says very racist things all the time and hunts down the native people. Uh, and he also rides a Tyrannosaurus Rex, and he is the final boss of Turok Evolution. Uh, this is one of those cases where I, I guess it's it's Turok. It's, it's so far over the top. It's, you know, on another planet. But it's just so unnecessary. Like, everything about him is unnecessary. Uh, he the the Wikipedia the fandom Wikipedia uh, page says a frontiersman Captain Tobias Bruckner was infamous for his extreme hatred against the American Indians and hated as a killer of their kind in Turok Evolution. So yeah, this is definitely using racism as like a spice in that first metaphor. It's it's really kind of uh, trying to punch up the the villainy of this horrible man, and it's not really necessary. Well- you know, but one question though: yes. is is the protagonist of Turok a native as well? Yes, Turok is is a native uh, person. So, I guess because the thing with the thing here is that I do wonder, like, it seems out of nowhere if you're playing this, like, you know, in terms of like how games generally handle this stuff and and who they're generally for, it might seem out of nowhere. But like, I don't know, like. Like on its face, the idea that you're the you're an indigenous hero of Turok, and the villain is what looks like a U.S. Army cavalry officer, right. uh, who were the tip of the spear of uh, a, a large large portion of the North American genocide. Um, I don't know, like to to an extent, uh, 
maybe like maybe maybe a game like Turok should be going there. Do you, like, are you saying this could be like a, a Wolfenstein sort of situation where the <laughs> over the topness is look, actually sort of warranted? Maybe? I have no idea because I have not played Turok. <laughs> like, you know, what I mean, like in in the context of a train wreck, almost everything becomes train wreckish and offensive. Sure. Sure. Uh, but at the same time, like... I guess probably Rob's just think it's not as, like... In a world where Turok Evolution is, like, a high-quality storytelling vehicle that, like, in the context of that world, that kind of character is not out of left field in the way that maybe we, you know, was discussed sure. with Iconoclast. Like, its handling may be, like, poor, inappropriate, uh, over-the-top in a way that does not execute on a villain that is, like, interesting and nuanced... Um, in a game that, you know, that, right. that Turok Evolution may not uh, necessarily uh, set up for yourself. But uh, like, I don't know that in that world that is necessarily falls into the same category. I think that is more execution, um, which which is in some ways is related to the first point about Iconoclast, where it's like, it's the same way that, you know, I've talked on the before, like, you know, I'm constantly critical of, you know, in horror films, how, you know, sexual assault is used as a, like, really easy uh, plot device to shock the viewer, and, and I think you know I, I would never suggest in in the way that we always talk about, like when we're critical of things, it's like it's not that iconoclast can't invoke sexual assault right. as like a way of characterizing its villains. It's how it's done. It's the execution. Is it ham-fisted? If when it comes out of left field, is it purely because like as Rob was suggesting, like well that's just the thing villains do, right? It's it's not that you can't invoke that side of uh, of awfulness. It's that in doing so, it, are you actually providing appropriate, interesting characterization to the world, to its characters? And I think in, in the case of Turek, I think, like, you know, there's an alternate universe where maybe that's, maybe they did, are, do pull that off. Um, whereas in Iconoclast, it's, you know, I don't know that it's necessarily justified um, as much as it's more, uh, hey, like what's, you know, like we said, the, the thing that could shock you as opposed to the thing that actually makes sense um, to, to sort of shade the characters with. And, there, and there's an element of earning it, too, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, I think where I get, start to get really nervous about, like, this description I'm reading in Turok Evolution uh, <laughs> is that, like, you can, like, a character like that, I think, is earned if you are deploying the indigenous identity of the protagonist really well and, and handling that fairly, like, responsibly in some ways like can still be look you're hunting fucking dinosaurs so like you know obviously it's going to be taking some liberties uh <laughs> but if you're going to deploy this idea that like you're fighting this mass killer of natives uh you know in dinosaur land or whatever uh i also want to make sure like i also want the game to have earned that it's it's ability to deploy that uh, by also showing it's maybe aware of the identities it's playing with, yeah, uh, and and that's uh, that is a huge and and that's a test that a lot of media fails, right? Is yeah. like you're you you want to set up like a really clear and identifiable villain, but the level of maturity and responsibility that a lot of other aspects of the story demonstrate don't really earn the ability, like don't really earn you the right to then bring in. Uh, a serious real-world issue and insert that into the story as an antagonistic figure. Yeah, I, I'm thinking a lot right now. And to be clear, it's been a long time since I played this game. I watched some cutscenes, you know, this morning to remind myself of Tobias uh, Bruckner's uh, awfulness, of course. But uh, it has been a while 
since I played that game. So uh, I'll, I'll bearing that in mind. But I guess the test that I give, uh, it's not the test that I give, but one thing to think of in this case is something like in Mafia 3, where you're fighting against the KKK. Mm-hmm. That feels appropriate. Even though it's an over-the-top game, even though it's a, you know somewhat of a comic book revenge story, that feels completely appropriate to go and and you know shoot KKK guys in the face, right? In the new Wolfenstein, it feels appropriate in some ways how over the top the Nazis act because yeah, they're they're that bad, and so that that you know kind of passes the sniff test, I guess, on on a certain level. But in Turok, <laughs> I don't remember it having like a, a nuanced take. You know, or or really doing service uh, to to like the the tribe in in the in the game. It just kind of felt like, you know, it would be cool if we had I've... this guy and he hunts dinosaurs and we'll make him, you know, American Indian dude. And uh, this other guy is like a cowboy on a dinosaur and he's racist. Yeah, so it's yeah, or it's desperation. <laughs> like fuck, yeah, I'm, working a, I'm working on I'm working on a goddamn Turok game. Like, what can I do? I'm in a pitch meeting. Nobody gives a shit about... Th- he's at a claim. He's like, uh, uh, I've got a blank slate. All right, I'm gonna fucking... It's a tar game. No one cares about the story anyway. You know, this company's overseeing what I'm doing with this game. All right, fuck it. I'm just gonna, like, go for broke in this game. No one cares Somebody anyway. Somebody shoots down your idea to make Columbus the villain because, like, most people uh, still like him. Oh, God. Well, it's wow. still 2002. I mean, you gotta put yourself in the time. Yeah, right? it was probably... Yeah. Before, yeah, that, that was uh, probably a, a little before the turn. Yeah, yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Uh, I think so. Mafia Three is an interesting example because I think one other thing that it it does well, and part of it is just because like Mafia Three is only so heightened, like it only gets so yeah. cartoonish uh, at times. But like again, the context for a lot of the stuff where you're fighting uh, the clan and such, um, when you're just driving around the world and living in it, uh, one of the things you hear on the radio a lot. You, you hear a lot of things on the radio that sort of set the context for the time, right? Like political yeah. strife, like uh, arguments over, I think, the Voting Rights Act is uh, still really controversial uh, on the radio in the world of Mafia 3. Uh, but one of the other things is that it's also grounded with like a very realistic understanding of... Uh, American racism and sort of the paternalism that defined a lot of Jim Crow, right? Yeah. Like, uh, there's that one radio show that keeps popping up uh, in Mafia Three, uh, Native Son. Yes, uh, remember that? Where it's like it's a oh, country yeah. music station, and if you don't listen carefully at first, it just sounds like it's a you know Southern Prairie Home Companion uh, kind <laughs> of thing. Which uh, boy, yeah. boy, is that has that reference uh, sort of changed a little bit this year? <laughs> uh, but like. It sounds like he's just a good old boy who just fucking loves country music and celebrating, uh, like, the notable figures in his community. But if you listen to it a little closer, uh, it's all these attempts to wrap racism and Jim Crow and reaction uh, in a really comfortable, cozy, homey uh, rapper. In some yeah. ways, yeah. Uh, that's and I really like that because it it shows these two faces of racism. They are connected. Uh, this guy is the public face, the the one that uh, a lot of a lot of bigotry wears in public, where it's like, well, look, I don't hate black people. I just think that, and then dot dot dot. Right. But that is connected to guys burning torches and like hunting down activists. So those those two things are. 
connected to each other and they exist in the same context and mafia 3 draws attention to both and i think that therefore like kind of earns uh its deployment of inserting like the clan yeah i, I think it's also a a you know uh, daniel earlier you invoked uh wolfenstein and and how it uh in a in a cartoonish world gets away with dealing with some really tough and and serious subjects and i think that's it's it's when you see Wolfenstein seemingly effortlessly get away, and not even get away, earn and pull off, yeah. like switching between tones, um, that it only underscores how impressive those games and other games that are ma- that manage to switch tones, that manage to exist in worlds of hyperbole, and you know, in the same way that I think people credibly can argue that like Wolf, it's it's difficult sometimes to reconcile Wolfenstein's cartoonish gameplay with its like much more serious and sober-minded. Uh, uh, cutscenes. Um, I'm like I'm here for that dissonance, and it's, it's part yeah. of the thing that attracts me to that game. Um, but a, a part of what uh, a lot of what make it makes it work underscores how difficult it is to do that. Um, and uh, so I think studying games like Wolfenstein provide uh, are sort of instructive in deconstructing why other games aren't able to do that because it is. It, if you were to put Wolfenstein in other hands it wouldn't work, right? Like, right. I think you gave everyone the same setup tools. Uh, a lot of what Wolf as I was working with, I think a lot of lesser developers would not have been able to uh, make it work nearly as well as it does. Yeah, totally, totally agree. Um, and, and I think as we were kind of talking about this and thinking about some, some of this and where it, it does fail, where maybe some, some of the setup even works, but maybe the execution does fail. Uh, Rob, I know you were, you were going to invoke... Uh, Bioshock Infinite in here as well as something that uh, attempts, I think, makes a genuine attempt, at least at first, to uh, invoke some really, really difficult material and then loses its way, perhaps, uh, we could say, in a couple or, of ways. Yeah, or maybe never really finds it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, even setting aside the uh, the fact that in the first minutes of the game, uh, the sort of town fair turns into a trip into racism Disneyland. Right. Uh, which gets pretty weird. Like, literally, the precipitating event of the game is the throw a baseball uh, at a mixed-race couple. Yeah. Um, is... It's just a little bit a bit cack-handed. But remember what follows that is uh, your first enemy, like, the first sort of thread that you're following is you're fighting the... Um, Oh, fuck Cops, what are they? The, right? the Order of the Raven? Oh, those guys. Yes, that's definitely in that section. Yeah. Uh, I can't even remember. I literally can't remember the, the their, bird, their name. Disappearing bird people. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and and they like worship the the raven, the but it's also of crows. That's what that power is called. So something uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but like <laughs> yeah. You go to their like uh it's clear that they are basically the Columbia uh version of the clan. Like yeah. Everything they do is sort of centered around, uh, you know, ra- racial oppression, uh, racial violence. But for some reason, it's also bound up with this like worship of the figure of the raven, uh, and their like lodge, their clan lodge is like a raven roost. But they've got like these elaborate feasting tables set up that have all like rotted and basically become compost it's like it's very resident evil seven uh, in some ways as you're wandering through it and it's like i don't even know what the hell is happening there like what what is this meant to evoke because at no point does it ever convince you really that um 
Like, this never feels like an organization that anyone would actually join. Right, like, right. like this never, like, no matter how racist you are, you are. I don't think, I don't think anyone's gonna be like, oh man, fuck, I, I, I can't wait to go down to the lodge and like, eat some compost while Raven shits on my head, <laughs> like. But that's kind of the the picture that the environmental storytelling of Bioshock Infinite ends up painting, and it it goes to this like, it's taking a bad group of people with. Uh, a, a group of villains with resonant real-world associations, but then reimagining them to be, again, cartoonishly and almost impossibly like evil and just gross, right? Yeah. It's like they, they don't even they don't even enjoy the same human pleasures that like you and I do, and it's this act of like really aggressively othering the idea of like virulent racism that I think ends up being a fumble because. As we knew then, and as we know better every day now, uh, frequently Stephen Miller aside, uh, racism <laughs> wears a very human and uh, you know <laughs> a recognizable face. Yeah, just ask the New York Times; uh, they they sure oh, are good geez. at <laughs> dropping that one in there. Very good at right. humanizing races. Uh, Actually, but no, that but that's of a piece, right? Because like, yeah. there's this, there is this maybe instinctive desire to believe that racism and bigotry are other. And that's why the New York Times keeps writing this fucking story about, like, holy shit, like, did you know that racists, like, buy, like, Barilla pasta, too? Like, isn't that amazing? Like, and it's not. It's not at all. But if you just have no understanding or you refuse to recognize that racists share a lot with anyone else in the same culture... Uh, you're going to be continually stunned uh, at the most basic similarities between a racist and, uh, you know, a good person. Right. But I think some of the, the difference between, like, where we started and, like, where we are at with Bioshock Infinite is, like, whereas, like, like I thought it was, like, totally fair for Bioshock to try and go down that path. I think Bioshock just had bad politics, right? Like, it had a bad yeah. argument. Like, it set, like, it. the conclusions it draw, tries to draw, the argument that the work makes is bad, but I don't, like, I wasn't, I wasn't against it trying to make it. I just disagreed with, like, every point along the way <laughs> and where it ends up going and equivocating and both sidesing um, from, from A to Z. But, like, I don't, I don't, I don't fault Bioshock Infinite for trying to, like, like the, you know, like, the, the, its opening moment like is a big ask and then it's like all right bioshock like if you're gonna do this like let's go and then it does go it just it just it just you know crashes on the way to uh you know drawing like sort of a credible argument about um what it's trying to say like i think for bioshock infinite like the ultimately it was like bad shitty neoliberal politics as opposed to uh (laughs) you know what we were talking about that kind of class where it's like ah you know you didn't need this you didn't earn it, and you were being shocking just to be shocking. I don't know that I put Bioshock Infinite in that same category. I just think it makes like a really poor, shitty, equivocating argument that doesn't hold up to scrutiny. Yeah, that's also super fair. That that entire museum set piece, whew, that's a that's a place yeah, where mean, it goes. You it, know, like, you know if, we're, if we're to take you know Bioshock Infinite to its logical conclusion, it's like if there's an alternate universe where some like that, like Bioshock Infinite is like a case where. Someone else, given the same tools, I think could have done something interesting with it. It's that I didn't. Ken Levine was not that person. Uh, yeah, as yes. it turns out. 
Yeah, as it turns out, as as we would say, that game is five years old very soon, and that is uh, very very interesting. Uh, Patrick, actually, both Patrick and Rob. Rob, you you were mentioning something. You mentioned Resident Evil, and that's one of the places I kind of wanted to go because Patrick, I know you are a Resident Evil fan, mm. and there's a couple of. I don't know if Code Veronica was high up uh, on your list at, at any point in life, but there's actually a, a villain there that is like super queer coded. That and that's that's another issue, but it's a related issue, of course, of, of making a villain. Uh, this is Alfred Ashford. He was no, I like, know, but when did when did that game come out? Oh God, ninety eight, ninety nine, maybe, maybe two thousand. Patrick, yeah, let's let, come here, because like, this is crucial to like my interpretation of uh, that game. I played, I played Veronica. Let's see, two thousand, February of two thousand. So um, we're talking almost twenty years ago. Yeah, point. it was you know, the cover was like a big exclusive uh, at the time for the Dreamcast. Um, it was like the, uh, uh, it was a really big deal um, at the time. And I so I was so if that's two thousand, then I was fifteen. And uh, let's just say. Patrick, 15-year-old Patrick didn't have a good sense of, like, the <laughs> politics of Resident Evil Code Veronica. Patrick, sure. 15-year-old Patrick was more interested in what this meant for the Umbrella Corporation and the mythology of the Resident <laughs> Evil series than, like, what it meant. Like, I, I'm not sure, sure. 15-year-old Patrick, like, had a, a good sense of, like, <laughs> the LGBTQ community, let's say, <laughs> growing up in a predominantly white, uh, straight suburb of uh, <laughs> Illinois. Uh, but it's an it's a really interesting game to, to look back at yeah. um for uh i don't know if for good i don't i couldn't tell you enough about what happened in that game other than there was you know there was a, a queer coded character which but i, I don't know if, like i said i don't think patrick fitchman patrick knew the word queer probably at the t- <laughs> at the time necessarily other than like overhearing it like do, have you looked up much of that character and how it's sort of uh presented in the game and like what that says a little bit, and also I haven't played this game since the Dreamcast. So yeah, this is a while ago for me too. Uh, this is before I was uh, even remotely out or knew I was queer in the slightest. Uh, but I do remember it being like striking a chord and being pretty. Oh I, yeah, I remember being being like, "This is fucking weird." This is um, something. Yeah, but I don't know that like my response to that went beyond that, which makes me wonder in retrospect, like you know, what was it being? And I say this again how, without any watching cutscenes or like going back and like doing my own uh, like actual reinterpretation of it. Like, you know, how much of that was like, oh, you know, it's like weird queer people. So let's put a right. weird thing in this game because other people are going to think it's weird because Resident Evil mythology is weird. I don't even know if that's true. Maybe the game is more subtle about it than than that. But oh, it's I, not subtle. Okay, yeah. all right. Yeah, sure. it's it's mm-hmm. not subtle at all. I, Alfred is, uh, I, I believe, uh, supposed to be a, a character who identifies as a man, but uh, dresses in his sister's clothes. Uh, this is not a spoiler, because this is a 20-year-old game, but he wants to emulate his sister. That's a whole thing that happens. So it's 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 probably a little bit transphobic as well, if you, if you want to, like, really look at it. This, I don't think this would play now. I will, I will say that. I will definitely say that. I think people would get some shit for it. Uh, but this is sort of another aspect of that, like, over-the-top, uh, you know, making something evil or weird uh, by using something like, oh, queer-coding a villain. And this is as old as film, basically, right? Is, is sort of queer-coding a villain uh, to make them even more evil and weird. Uh, it's to, like, give them supposedly, you know, stereotypical queer features, like having, you know, a specific way they talk, having a specific way they walk or dress or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And queer coding for villains anyway, and especially for villains that have nothing to do with 
uh, you know, there's no other remotely uh, positive representation of, of queer people in the in the work where it's like, oh, this he's evil because he's gay, where that association could be made, basically, is its own area of this. Uh, it's in a lot of older games. It's in a lot of movies. I mean, you can also see this in 80s action movies, for sure. 70s action movies, everything. Uh, but it's another sort of aspect of this that I find interesting and also, like, it's troubling in a way. Uh, but again, I don't think necessarily that uh, you would get away with this today. I don't think that a major game company could put something as bad as as Alfred <laughs> in, in a game and not get at least some backlash about it, which is maybe comforting in a way. Maybe it... Well, hold on. Yeah. Far Cry 4. Yeah. Like, I mean, he was like, super queer-coded. I, um, I agree. I mean, I, yeah, like, I don't know how I feel about that character either. Cause sure, yeah. it kind of worked for me at the same... Like, it was... He was an ultra-violent, like, esthete in some ways. Yes. Who, like... And I don't know. There was kind of a fun goofiness to the entire thing. But at the same time, there was an element of... Here's this, like, flamboyantly queer character, and that is part and parcel of his murderousness and amorality. Yeah. And they sure went out of their way to be like, I like women. They have him talking about how much he likes women all the time, where it's like, okay, game. <laughs> like, it's almost as if they they sort of realized that too late. You know, they, they built this character. They, they sort of put all of this in. They were like, shit, let's record some dialogue that at least makes him buy. You know, that's like very like, oh, let's just make sure. Make sure, like, make sure we don't have the queer coding go too far. In this, although I, I wonder, I always wonder if it's a deliberate thing. I always wonder, especially with games that have a team of, of God knows how many hundred working on them. I'm, I'm always curious who figured something out really late and threw something in. That's like its own <laughs> kind of thing, right? Uh, but yeah, I, I, we can probably move on to letters soon. I just, uh, I just really, God, write, obviously writing is always hard. Writing fiction is always hard. Writing fiction in extreme situations is always hard, uh, especially for all this, you know, genre stuff. I mean, I, all of the games we've talked about are over the top in some way. Resident Evil has never not been over the top. Obviously, you know, the Wolfenstein games are over the top in their own way. And Turok has never not been over the top. So so you're always sort of playing with exaggeration with any of these characters and with any of these worlds. But it really does seem to me that finding a balance between that and making your characters evil because of their actions and not because of who they are or or based on this sort of weird identity politics of a neoliberal sort of uh, worldview, it seems like the, the way to go, in my opinion. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Uh, but yeah, we can move into uh, some, some letters. We've got some good ones. As, of course, as always, if you have a letter, if you have a note for us, you can reach us at gamingatvice.com with the subject questions. 
Uh, we have a couple of nice, relevant questions, or at least somewhat relevant questions here today. Uh, I think they're, uh, they're not really about bosses, uh, but they are about sort of implicit and weird things. So we have Kate two times from Australia. Kate put two times uh, at the end of her name here. And she writes, hi guys. I was wondering if you've ever played a game and ended up focusing on things that were totally not the point or intention of the game developers. The thing that specifically made me wonder that was I've been playing Stardew Valley in Pocket Camp and I can't stop thinking about how I, I guess Mayor Lewis is creeping around my farm every night between 2 a.m. and 6 a.m. to collect my goods to sell, so that's weird. Where does he sell them? Does he sell them for a cost and it's just a, a generous service or is there some kind of weird black market I don't know about? Who is buying this stuff? And how does that fishing store stay open? The only person who shops there is me, and I never shop there. And in Pocket Camp, why do all these animals have so many pieces of steel? Where are they getting it from? Is there a smelter somewhere nearby? Why can't I buy it with my actual money? I can only get it as gifts, and they are in fact direct transactions of goods and services. And what does that say about our attitudes to labor and capital? Okay, maybe that one is a bit much. On a more serious note, I was nodding along vigorously with Rob saying he used to play a lot of strategy and war games, I can't even play Civilization anymore because wars are bad, and so I never start wars, and then I lose them, and I'm sad. Is there a game or a type of game where you end up thinking about a side note or throwaway mechanic more than the actual game? Hmm. Oh, good. I, uh, I can't think too much on those lines, but I do know that when uh, the Doom uh, reboot came out a couple of years back, one of my favorite stories that I wrote for Kotaku uh, was... Uh, the over the the it's not a conspiracy theory because I believe in it is that <laughs> uh, it is not actually I mean it's a reboot but it is not a remake it is not it is actually canonically in line with the Doom franchise the plot like Doom 2016 takes <laughs> place within a timeline that can be uh, connected back to the other Doom games the uh, the theory that is proposed is that. Uh, Doom 1 and Doom 2, like the way that Doom 2016 ties in is because of a change to the ending of Doom 2 uh, made when it was ported to the Nintendo 64. Read my post. It makes sense. <laughs> Doom 2016 is canonical. I, I choose to believe it. there are even ties to Doom 3 and why that uh, feeds all in together is the truth. It is the way. Uh, I continue to believe that theory. Uh, I'm going to take it to my grave. And so that's one, that's one of those instances where I got really uh, far down a, a rabbit hole in a way that was a lot of fun. I think I, I, think I justify my theory in the, in the article <laughs> I wrote. Um, I need to read know. this because I, I genuinely love that shit. Like, I uh, love it when, when people, like, make interesting theories about how things connect and, and here and there, and, like, almost conspiracy theory kind of stuff going on. It's very fun in the context of very goofy universes to me. Like I don't yeah. like that in the real world, but in Doom, give it to me. <laughs> as far as you know, as far as I know, uh, you know, it's software. Bethesda did not uh, respond to my. I don't think I sent a request for comment. Let's say I did, and they didn't <laughs> uh, respond. Hashtag release the memo. You know, to give yeah. me the information I'm looking for. Uh, it's software. Let the people know. Is Doom 2016 <laughs> canonically in line because of Doom 2 Hell on Earth's port to the N64? I do want to know. I do want to know. Let's let's hope. Let's let's send another letter. What if, like, you know, they they sent it to like the wrong email address or something, and that memo is just floating out on the internet? Like, that's important. It would change your full understanding of Doom. <laughs> Hell yeah, it would. And also, my conspiracy theory would be correct. So, 
There you go. Rob, how about you? Do you have any, like, like underlying feelings uh, about a game Um, or a mechanic? I mean, I'm sure I do, but it's it's proving difficult to really put my finger on any. Uh, I think something that there are two things I find increasingly hard to to make myself do in EU4. Mm. Uh, first is colonization. Uh, oh, I just yeah. don't really like playing with that aspect of the game, uh, and part of it is just because like I'm really there for the uh, intra-European wars, uh, so I'm not really like. Who needs the new world uh, when I can, you know, take a hammer to the Holy Roman Empire uh, one more time? I'm always up for that. Uh, but then the other thing is that, like, in so many words, uh, EU4 100% has, like, ethnic cleansing uh, mm. in it. Uh, and in part, like, it's not done in, like, a gleefully cruel or sadistic way. And it's not even necessarily... Uh, like certainly elements of genocide are implied there but a lot of it also is implied by like you are just slowly like via language laws uh, via like uh, acculturation and uh, promoting of of certain uh, cultural centers and the annihilation of others uh, you are basically changing the cultural and ethnic identity of certain regions and the and the reason you'd want to do that in EU4 is because uh, if you have an empire that manages, like if you have a multicultural empire uh, that is big enough that it has large populations of different ethnic groups, it can eventually like make them core to the identity of that empire. Uh, so you can have like a multi-ethnic uh, like super state. It can be done. Uh, but even in that case, the odds are good that there's still going to be small minorities uh, in within your empire that are not going to hit that threshold, and they will feel not represented by the empire. They won't feel any allegiance to it. And then, because of that, they will always be sort of restive, and when the age of nationalism comes along, probably rebellious. So, if you really want to keep things quiet at home, uh, you start sort of trying to like make your empire ethnically and culturally homogenous. Um, and again, like I actually think it's pretty well handled in that game. I think they've come up with uh, some pretty clever ways to represent these tensions. Um, and like by the way, like trying to create a super state on the back of uh, like mass genocide and annihilation is also like pretty like it's not really a winning play in a lot of ways uh, because like your entire, all your effort turns into like basically tamping down other identities within your empire and you never like develop, you become a shithole. Um, God, God, I hate how many words just become loaded by the way. (laughs) God, fucking 2018. Uh, You become, you become a really dysfunctional state. Yeah. Uh, But nevertheless, this mechanic exists. I find it increasingly hard to press that button and be like, well, time to homogenize the Balkans uh, because like there's context there there's history and I'm just like I don't know if I want to do this with with my time in this game yeah talk about that hidden curriculum right there it's I mean it sounds like it cuts both ways which is interesting yeah again like I think the reason I I still like love the game is because it does sort of I think it does handle the stuff responsibly like I think it it but but it's that fine line between you're trying to represent something like neutrally and objectively and just like trying just trying to say like look 
these are dynamics in history and we're not running from them. But then at the same time, in the eye of the beholder, for all I know, there's somebody who's playing games like that and being like, yeah, now I can really, you know, <laughs> I can really create my bohemian uh, super state and death to, you know, the Balkan dogs. <laughs> that sounded really specific right there. I don't know if you're trying to tell us something. Um, a lot of my stuff around this is very, like, I was a kid who needed to have sort of, like, a backstory to everything. And I'm pretty sure Star Wars did this to me because, you know, I read all those, like, really goofy, like, Star Wars short story books that had, like, a backstory for every single character who ever had screen time ever. Yep. Like the, the Tales the tale, from blank. Tales from the cantina where it's, like, every single person God, in the space so bar had a whole story. And, of course, they, like, interacted with the galaxy's best and a thousand times. Uh, but, yeah, like, I had to have a backstory for, like, all the all the Donkey Kong characters, like all the all the like bad guys in Mario games. There was there's definitely like a uh, <clears throat> God, what are they called? Sniffets, something like that. They the in Super Mario Brothers two, the the no Shy Guys, of course they're called Shy Guys. I don't know why I thought it was named Sniffets. Uh, they had I'm really wondering you pulled that. I'm sorry, I made I also made names up for everybody because uh, I was a weird kid. But yeah, Wait, I had like. Names to- so wait, that was a, that was so you called the shy guy the snippet? Yes. Why? I don't know. They had weird noses. They were snippets. They, but they were good. Did they even have noses? <laughs> I mean, it's like a mouth. I think really, but listen, back in my day, I'm old. Okay, I'm gonna be 34 in about two weeks. I I had to make up names for things because unless you read the instruction manual, which I also did. Uh, you didn't know the names of things because there wasn't, like, a really great representation of what it actually was in the real world. So, you know, with pixel art, with old pixel art, you kind of made shit up a little bit, you know, in my day. Uh, but, yeah, I, I had, like, names for specific things. 33 in a week. Don't, let's, let's, yeah. don't try and, like, pour this, like, oh, I'm old and I did weird. You just did weird shit. You just did weird <laughs> yeah. shit. Like, like, oh, hey, we had manuals back in my day. Danielle, <laughs> just own your shit. Like, I'm 33. Fine. I'm not that far away from you. Fine. I was weird. I'll admit it. I was weird, and I had names for all the characters, and there was one shy guy who is in, like, one room. There's one room, and I don't even remember what world, but there's one room uh, where there's a shy guy who's walking really, really fast in Mario Brothers 2, and I had, like, a whole backstory for that guy. Why he was running fast. I think he had to, like, catch a bus or something or a magic carpet. There's a whole thing. I used to just make up, like, the stories, uh, the backstories for all the, like, weird incidental characters in my games, and I didn't have, you know, a million games. I think, like most kids, you kind of got a couple of games a year, maybe, or you rented games or whatever. So I sure played my games over and over and over and over again and, and, and sure made up a story about everybody. Uh, yep, because I was normal. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's good. All right, we got one more question. Um, we don't have a name on this one, uh, but what memories uh, or memories of accomplishments in games have you found, have you later found to be entirely wrong? For years, I have been boasting that I beat the last boss in Okami, having lost all but one heart on the first version and beating the rest with half a heart. I remember very explicitly hiding behind rocks and barely jumping out to attack in a very white background. Well, with the Okami HD release, I've been rocking the hell out of the game. I beat it, uh, I beat it again, and contrary to what I've uh, convinced I remembered, the boss was just a bunch of balls. No rocks. No white, just balls. 
balls with stripes on them that look like the king. Deja vu. Deja vu. Does anybody else have entirely false memories of games or entirely false accomplishments that you had in a game that you later were like, that didn't happen? <laughs> what was that about? Oh, man. Mm. It's just stuff aggressively misremembered, huh? Yeah. Just like, okay. I remember it looking like this, and it really was just not even. Or, or even I think you could do something that you thought was like really difficult as a kid. Then later on, kind of looked back on, and you were like, oh, wow, that was, wasn't that bad. Or the or vice versa. You had an easy time as a kid. Now it's very difficult. I mean, like, every time I go back to a game, like, so, all, like, basically all the 3D games from, like, the late 90s, early 2000s, like, Deus Ex is a perfect example. <laughs> I remember that game looking pretty good. Yeah. If you asked me, like, I would say, like, that. yeah, that game probably still looks pretty good. And then if I actually see screenshots, or if I, like, fire it up on my PC, I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> like, how did this... Like, do you remember, like, how character models in this era were all basically, like, cube-headed? Yeah. And just, like, everything was, like, a texture applied to a different face of the cube? <laughs> yeah. uh, and it wasn't really a whole lot more, like, subtle than that. Uh, that's not how I remember any of this, but every time I see it, I'm like, oh dear God, this is, this is a disaster. Um, I mean, I remember the Von Braun in, uh, System Shock 2 being much bigger than it actually was. Like, I went back and played that a while ago, and I remember, like, the MedSci deck being this, like, massive, expansive, uh, like, opening level, and it's really not. You know, it's 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 a, it's it's really a few hallways and and uh, you know major like hubs, uh, you know, at the center of it, and then little hallways spoking off of it. Uh, but I remember it being this like really expansive, uh, you know, explorable space, and I just convinced myself that like that spaceship felt bigger than it is, and I think. It feels big because you're basically in mortal terror uh, the entire time. But, like, if you go back to it now and you're, like, you know, you're a big boy and you're not scared uh, anymore, you're like, oh, this is, um, I mean, this is, a, the, this is a pretty small apartment. Yeah. I, um, it's not exactly a false memory, but I guess it's a false memory of how uh, mature and well done something is. So, sorry to pick up Bioshock. I still love the first two games. I'm, I'm you know, not, not saying that they're not really good games. I think Bioshock 1 and 2 are great. But I distinctly recall thinking that the environmental storytelling, let's say, in the first Bioshock was a whole lot more subtle and detailed and, you know, ready for people who don't play video games than it clearly was. I remember teaching a, uh, a class uh, at Northeastern University, and it was not a game design class. I teach game design as well, but, like, this was not a game design class. So these were not game designers. This was a interactive storytelling class uh and it you know traded heavily on sort of uh like cinema students would take this class and instead of like picking something effective and and good and subtle and, and interesting i picked the uh intro to the medical pavilion as my sort of like look at how beautiful and subtle and masterful environmental oh, storytelling <laughs> can be in a video game space look at how mature we have uh become I, this is like 
not 2007 either. This is like 2010, 2011. It's been a couple years at this point. There were other options for me, like just to make clear. Uh, and if you don't remember this, th- basically there's blood on the floor and there's some like bodies strewn about that have been uh, clearly cut by the surgeon. The story of this space is Dr. Steinman, who is that, you know, sort of the mad scientist trope who, you know, he went mad because he had too much Adam in his system and now Adam will allow him to do amazing things with the human body and he, you know, goes off in his in his uh, voice logs about it. And so I was showing these, like, you know, it was sort of like gameplay that had been cut into, oh, only the, you know, the the most stirring pieces of environmental art and then, you know, the the sort of voice logs. And I'm standing there, you know, showing my class this, and they're, like, gasping, like, this is disgusting. What is this? Like, these are not gamers. I mean, the gamers among the class were like, oh, yeah, this is all right, I guess. And every other student is like, this, oh, my God, what is this? And I had another teacher uh, from, like, the next classroom run in and be like, what are you, what are you doing? Because, of course, it's, like, gunshots and blood noises and just sort of the violence of it. Uh, it's just so ridiculously over the top and and so, so so not subtle. Man, what a uh, great game! And I sure was like humbled. I ate some humble ass pie after that lecture where I showed. I was like, oh, this will be so good. And then it was like, oh my god, did, did I? Did you even get to the part where you sort of it's the reveal of Steinman and he's in the middle of like botching the shit out of a plastic surgery? <laughs> Uh, yeah, and oh, it's it's so good. He's just like just mutilating a figure on an operating table, and it makes noise at he, first. Then it's dead. It's one of those. Yeah, yeah. And then he's like, ah, oh, none of them are my masterpiece. And then he like gestures at one thing, and the light comes up on another dead body. <laughs> gestures at another, and like he's like installed track lighting for like his mutilated just corpses. for this. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. Oh it's yeah. So good. Uh, we got to that, but I I had to lower the volume considerably because it was scaring people. In the uh, in the university, so um, yep. I, I suppose I next you're going to tell one. me that Xander Cohen was a bit over the top. <laughs> yeah, that's certainly true. You want to talk about queer coding in your villain? Uh, there's a there's one for you right there. Um, yeah, but Fort Frolic is above reproach. I oh. say that having not played it in like ten years. I play it sure, every few years. I'm sure there's nothing problematic there. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. But yeah. I fucking love that level. Fuck it. I don't care. I love Xander Cohen. I feel like the first Bioshock still holds up and still where I played the last time I played it was last uh fall. Uh the collection came out and I played at least a few hours of the first one again. I play that game like every few years because I, I actually really like it. And it holds up, but it holds up as like fantasy murder theater basically like it's not it it doesn't hold up as like the greatest game to comment upon the making of video games and why we do what we do it doesn't hold up like that but it does hold up as like look at fantasy murder theater 2007 like it's it's very fun in that way so yeah yeah correct all right um i guess i guess we're out of time now we could talk about uh villains that are too over the top all day because we play video games uh, but but alas, we have to go back to our jobs, or the rest of our jobs. This is part of our jobs, of course. Uh, but if you do have a question, you can always send it to gaming at vice.com with the subject question. Just put a question in there so we know where to put it. As always, shout-outs to Bowen for letting us use his track, Miss You, off the EP Pale Machine. We are on Twitter at Waypoint. We're on Facebook at Waypoint Vice. And we're on YouTube at Waypoint Vice as well. You can read everything that we write at waypoint.vice.com. 
Patrick, where can people find you online? Find me at Patrick Klopik. Awesome. Rob, where can people find you? At Rob Zachney. You can find me at Tobias Bruckner Hater 007. That's my. No, I'm at Danielle R.I. And man, fuck Tobias Bruckner. That's just, that's, that's just the message I have for you today. As well as, thank you for listening. Be good, and be good at it. Peace. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.